I burned down a barn. It wasn't actually my fault, per se. One moment, my nine-year-old self was jumping on a trampoline in the backyard of the trailer park where I grew up. The next, I was hearing the sounds of the fire truck that was putting out the flames of my neighbor's barn. Hi, my name is Stephanie Pletka, and I'm here to navigate the messy parts of motherhood. I'm a small-town mom of four who took a parenting blog and wrote a book to help moms find the goodness in the hard places, to chase their dreams and write their story. So sit tight in the carpool lane. You know what I'm talking about, mamas. Comfortable in those yoga pants and get ready to be encouraged. This is the Motherhood Mindset with Stephanie Pletka. I grew up in the South, in the backwoods, off the banks of the Alabama River, chasing lightning bugs, fishing for catfish, and riding bikes till dusk. Life was my oyster, and I was as happy as a flea on a blue tick hound. My favorite days included a good swimming hole, peach ice cream, and a song by Rick Springfield. The summer of 1980 had the makings of an epic adventure. My best friend had stopped by to shoot the breeze and come up with a plan for the day. With curly blonde hair and as feisty as she was skinny, she said, Hey, Stephanie, you won't believe what I did this morning. What trouble did you get into now, I asked. You know those Winston cigarettes that Grandma smokes every day? The ones she would trade me in for to get two more packs? Yeah. I stole them from her kitchen windowsill this morning, and she's as mad as a wet hen. I want to smoke a cigarette and see what all the fuss is about. After much negotiation on her part, we walked over to her grandma's barn and closed the double doors. My sole purpose in being there was for support. I had no intention of smoking a cigarette. My mission that day included jumping on a trampoline and building pine tree forts. And now there I was, sidetracking my potential. Like an episode of The Goonies, half of the neighborhood kids from ages 8 to 12 were already in the barn, hatching a plan. I couldn't believe my eyes. Watching a kid smoke a cigarette? It was shocking. She asked me to try one. No way, I said. I'm a good girl. I'm nine. But then she double-dog dared me. And y'all, if you're Southern, you don't take those challenges lightly. Do you think Reese Witherspoon's character in Sweet Home Alabama would have backed down from a double-dog dare? Or Reese herself, for that matter? No way. If word got out that you failed the challenge, your reputation was at stake. So I caved and held the cigarette between my thumb and finger like I was smoking weed. I had no idea how to hold a cigarette and only knew my way was wrong when a 12-year-old began making fun of me. Instead of taking a small puff, I inhaled it (laughs) like it was my last breath. I thought for sure I was dying, turning three shades of green with regret settling in. As the cigarette changed hands, something grabbed my attention. This barn was filled with canned goods, tomatoes, green beans, and corn. Hanging from the rafters were large pieces of salted meat, and stacked on the shelves were 50 or 60 mason jars filled with pea. Why would someone seal pea in a canning jar? We didn't have an answer. I mean, we were nine. As I leaned down to discern the jar's contents, A neighborhood kid tossed a lit match, which landed in the open container. Boom! 
The explosion was deafening. The blast thrust me out the front door and into the wet grass, with singed eyebrows and cheeks masked with soot. <coughs> I coughed up black smoke. The barn was on fire, and our only recourse was to run, and run we did in every direction, like a stirred-up ant bed. It looked like a prison break. As I rounded the corner, my mom hollered my name. "What's the commotion?" she asked. "The barn is on fire." She knelt down, inspected my burned bangs, and asked, "Did you have anything to do with this?" I looked straight into her hazel eyes and emphatically said, "No, ma'am." I'm not sure she believed me that day, but she wanted to enough that we never spoke of it again. After the investigation, they discovered the mason jars contained moonshine, white lightning, a hundred-proof alcohol. I laid in bed that night and assessed my situation. Perhaps I needed new friends. How had I allowed myself to walk so far off the beaten path that we burned down a barn? Instead of writing my own story, I gave someone else the power to determine its course. Something had to change. I needed a new tribe. Now, twenty-five years later, married with four kids, I wrestled again with finding the right tribe. I sat on the end of my bed, crying in despair. I had a good life and a supportive spouse, but something was missing. I had started a video production company years earlier, with the juggles and struggles of work-family balance, and figuring out how many ways to cook a chicken. Keeping up with appearances seemed an impossible task. I felt hopeless, overwhelmed, and isolated. Don't get me wrong; there were people all around, but the connection of a strong sisterhood was missing. Deep-rooted relationships had fallen by the wayside. I had become an expert plate spinner, swirling in organized chaos. But it turned out, it was just chaos. Suddenly, I found myself separated from the human race. Little beings needed my full attention, and sleepless nights had become the lowly standard. Primary colored toys filled my shabby chic living room. My life felt like herding cats in a rainstorm. No one came out unscathed. How did I get here? It felt like I was standing in that barn all those years ago, sidetracked from my potential. I was no longer in control of my life. Instead, it was in control of me. My carpool attire had descended to torn boxer shorts and yesterday's makeup. Did anyone else feel like me? As newlyweds, John and I sat in the living room of our first home in Houston, Texas, on our green and white plaid couch, toasting to freedom with a box of wine and nachos for dinner. We raced in triathlons on the weekend. And eventually adopted a dog. Who who knew how much sacrifice it took to care for a rambunctious dog? As I write that, I laugh wholeheartedly at our cluelessness of what was to come. In the blink of an eye, we found ourselves with a mortgage, four kids, and two entrepreneurial startups. Suddenly, I was the ringmaster of a circus, sitting in isolation, unprepared for all the madness and mayhem. And that's when I heard the phrase. You are not enough. I spent days beating myself up, always thinking I should be further along in life. 
This phrase of self-doubt ran a loop in my head like a bad sitcom rerun. What does enough look like? It's such an immeasurable term. Enough is defined as adequate, and yet somehow I viewed myself as inadequate, as if wearing anything less than a superhero cape meant that I was letting the world down. What society once considered overachievement had become the norm. I wondered, does anyone else feel this way, or am I the only one? I found myself in a vulnerable place, reaching out to other moms for advice, tips, and authenticity. It took me back to the time when my firstborn was six months old. My life felt like a blur, a brain fog of epic proportions. I met a woman from church who seemed to have a perfectly put-together life. She had no complaints, and everything seemed easy for her. Obviously, she was my answer. She brought warm, homemade blueberry muffins to Bible study every week, with kids in tow and a smile on her face. Life looked effortless. I thought, I'll have what she's having, please. I invited her to lunch and shared my story. In my vulnerability and tears, overwhelmed and exhausted, I carefully placed my pain in her hands. I shared my struggles of sleepless nights, midnight feedings, and the tough transition of being a stay-at-home mom. I recognized that my old life was gone, and I felt guilty for wanting it back. With anger in her voice, she said, I have no idea what you're talking about. She looked perplexed, even annoyed, as if the persona she had so meticulously created had cracked. Otherwise, how would I think she had gone through similar circumstances? I left that day feeling like a lonely puppy that had been dropped off on the side of the road. I felt hopeless. I had placed my vulnerability in the hands of someone who didn't deserve it, unqualified to hold something so precious. I walked away from lunch with tears flowing, placing my son in his little car seat. I felt more isolated than ever. I packed my feelings, my heart, my vulnerability into a closet of confinement and silently suffered for more than a year, which catapulted me into further isolation. As our little brood grew, matters only got worse. Other moms upped the ante by bragging how their five-year-old could tabulate a rhombus by multiplying exponents by pi, even though their child was still drinking from a sippy cup. My son wasn't potty trained. His first word was hurry, and I caught one of my kids eating dirt in the backyard. I fell into a depression, too vulnerable to express my concerns. Instead, I patted myself with isolation, the precise breeding ground for disconnection. The loneliness I felt created a place of solitary confinement. I fell into isolation when I separated myself from the pack. That separation came from being on a different economic level, comparing myself to others, trusting the wrong people, dealing with different ages and stages, and plain old miscommunication. I wasted days and weeks trying to figure out why someone didn't like me until one day I realized it was never about me. As Bernard Baruch said, don't worry about what others think. Those who mind don't matter, and those who matter don't mind. As a parent, it's easy to fall into the trap of feeling like you're not enough. 
We're like transistor radios. <laughs> As a parent, it's easy to fall into the trap of feeling like you're not enough. We're like transistor radios picking up signals. The way another mom reacted in carpool, a snippy remark by a coworker, your spouse forgetting an important event, or walking into a room and no one saying hello. All of these signals can make us feel uninvited, rejected, and not enough. Have you ever asked your husband if your butt was too big? I bet nine times out of ten, it's not about your butt. You're seeking approval, validation. You're seeking affirmation that you're doing a great job, that you're needed and appreciated in your section of the universe. But guess what? Your husband, your friends, that carpool mama. The coworker, none of them can pull you from the despair. We have to put our eyes on the Maker, the one who designed us so purposefully, who weaved every intricate detail of the fiber of our being. Instead of believing the truth, we may listen to an unrelenting voice that sounds exactly like our own, telling us we're not enough. In doing so, we're leading our kids and our family down the same path. We're allowing the lie. To steal our life, we're allowing thieves to walk through the front door in plain sight, undermining our success and wrecking our future. Social media has formulated the perfect storm for mom guilt, judgment, and comparison traps. It reflects only the beautiful parts of life, the most perfect angles, the most exotic vacation spots, and the happiest moments. On social media. I too had done the very thing I hated in others. My kids made me breakfast in bed for Mother's Day, so of course I had to document it, or it didn't count. Every corner of my bedroom had a hamper full of dirty clothes and kids' toys. It took somewhere around seven photos to get the best laundry-free angle, cropped of course, to post online. I was perpetuating the same fake, idealistic life that made me cringe. No matter where I turned. There were few, if any, discussions of moms struggling with postpartum depression, laughing about their mistakes, posting pictures of destroyed laundry rooms, or applauding others for just being a good mom. I was perpetuating the same fake, idealistic life that made me cringe. No matter where I turned, there were few, if any, discussions of moms struggling with postpartum depression, laughing about their mistakes. Posting pictures of destroyed laundry rooms, or applauding others for being just a good mom. So that week, I created my first blog. It's been my goal to help other moms connect, laugh, relate, discuss, and empower one another through authenticity, vulnerability, and intentional living. I live for those moments when moms realize guilt, perfectionism, and comparison traps are counterfeit options. To grace, progress, and contentment, when moms recognize that vulnerability doesn't have to be a sign of weakness, but a platform for change, we can't allow such mental distractions to hold us hostage from living our best life. Sharing struggles can make you feel raw and vulnerable. My immediate reaction is to cover it quickly, to hide my weakness from the world, conceal it, protect it. Tuck it in my carry-on and lug the weight of my struggle alone. I make it look as though I've got it together, when it's exactly the opposite. 
I make it look as though I've got it together when it's exactly the opposite. But this strategy perpetuates the very attitude that created my isolation. We need to be authentic. We need to cheer each other on like the sisterhood that we are. Let's rally in the tough times and celebrate in the good ones. Choosing your tribe is as essential as selecting who will care for your precious child on date night. Tim Ferriss, author of Tools of Titans, asserts you are the average of the five people you most associate with. Uh-oh, who needs new friends? Choosing your people is as vital as appointing who will raise your children in your will. Choosing your people is as vital as appointing who will raise your children in your will. Choose your mom tribe wisely. Find those close friends willing to laugh, cry, and celebrate all the moments. Seek out those people willing to protect those fragile pieces too painful to share. Find those willing to pray for you rather than gossip. To take the phone calls at any hour of the day, to be your backup, your go-to, your hoot and holler section, these are your people. Your vulnerability is a special place because when life feels unsolved, stripped, and exposed, it's a platform for change. You may ask, but what if I trust my vulnerability to the wrong people? What if I can't find my tribe? What if I end up like you, feeling hopeless and isolated? It's possible, all of it. But guess what? You won't die. Authentic women are everywhere. If you don't have a great group of girlfriends, stop right now. Whatever you're doing, set it down and find these people. They are the women who make life worth living. I would trade all of my chocolate and a really good box of wine to have these girls in my life. Hear me. They could be in a bookstore, at church, at preschool, at a football game, at a coffee shop, at a women's conference, on a tennis team, or in a Circle K. Look for them. These women are your lifeline. They create breathing room, security, a safe harbor to laugh, cry, and connect. I've been lucky enough to find a great group of friends who tell it like it is, who hold me accountable, who cry when I cry, and who laugh until we pee in our pants. And they do it all with great love. We've practically raised each other's kids from preschool to productive citizens. We've ridden life's rough roads together in the form of grits nights, girls raised in the South, a quarterly catch-up to discuss life, love, and the pursuit of happiness. One of our quarterly gatherings landed us at Kim's Lake House for the weekend. The afternoon started with a laugh session. Someone snorted, and y'all, we could not contain ourselves. It was downhill from there. The adulting sign had been turned off, and immature acting teenagers had taken its place. We were no good for anyone. By 4 p.m., we found ourselves on a ski boat, flying through the water on inner tubes, It was pure therapy. In the name of safety, Kim handed out red life jackets. But for the record, they were the world's smallest ones. She swore they were standard size. But for someone who had just had a baby and was still nursing, I questioned her life jacket fitting expertise. I'm telling you, I grew up on the lake, and Kim, this is a child's life jacket. The snickering, the snorting, and the laughs continued. I had grown from a C cup to a double D, and the zipper wouldn't budge four inches from the top. The more I zipped, 
the more stitching began to pop. I jumped into the lake and became my own buoy. My friend Lori, who deserves the gold star for being the sweetest and maturest of us all, agreed to ride with me on the inner tube. It was time to show off our skills. My friend Lori, who deserves the gold star for being the sweetest and maturest of us all, agreed to ride with me on the inner tube. It was time to show off our skills. As the boat jerked forward, Lori and I white-knuckled the ski rope as we listened to the girls laughing about my chest weighing down the boat and how the engine was having a hard time pulling us. As I thought to myself, oh, I'll show them. Out of the blue, just as the boat jumped its first wave, the engine caught on fire. The girls hollered and some jumped overboard. There were buckets of water flying around the boat as the smoke billowed higher. The engine was on fire, for real fire. The girls were trying to call for help on cell phones with no service, and I questioned whether my boobs actually caused the engine to catch on fire. Kim's boat story has become legend. She claimed the life jacket was never the same. The boat didn't survive, but we did. And when we get together, no matter how long it's been, it's like coming home. To this day, Kim, Lori, Jennifer, Shelley, and Karen are those women who have been my rock through all of life's ups and downs. What is life without connection, without community, without a space for breathing room? Proverbs 18.24 reminds us, One who has reliable friends soon comes to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. I pray you experience such love and support from your tribe. I know it's hard, especially when life changes. A job, a spouse, a home, it's difficult. I've experienced loss. I've moved across the country, leaving friends and family behind, completely starting over from scratch. I now live over 2,000 miles from those very women. Starting over can feel lonely, frustrating, and hopeless at times. But like the rising of a phoenix from the ashes, joy comes in the morning. There will be laughter and good times again. If you've experienced change or loss or feel uprooted, there's a book that I've placed in my arsenal of must-reads, After the Boxes Are Unpacked by Susan Miller which reminds us that we can bloom where we are planted. Find your tribe. Seek them out like a hidden treasure. We are walking past incredible women daily. We just have to reach out and make the connection. Be the first to say hello or lend a helping hand. Show up to events not knowing a soul and welcome those you don't know. Take them under your wing. Join a Bible study, a running group, or a writer's club. Attend school activities with the kids and connect with other moms. Jump into the land of the living, imperfections and all, and watch change occur. Choose wisely the tribe you surround yourself with, for this is the place that holds your truth and strength. Will you be a member of the barn burning club or the hoot and holler section? List what keeps you on the sidelines of life in isolation and fear. It's time to find your tribe. Four ways to discover your tribe. Number one, what organization, hobby, or group could you join to meet new people? Number two, who could you serve and where could you serve them? Number three, 
Who is the one person you could reach out to? Make a lunch date with them this week. Number four, if you could be vulnerable with a friend, what topic would you discuss? My prayer, Lord, help me to reach out and find my tribe. Help me to find those women whom I can trust, who can lift me up and encourage me. Help me to encourage myself, be my own dream defender, and believe that because I am fearfully and wonderfully made, I have nothing to prove. I have always been enough. In your name, amen. Hey guys, if this show has blessed you, the number one way you can help me is to click the five stars and tell me what you think over on Apple Podcast. You can go to my website at stephaniepletka.com and subscribe or grab a copy of my book, Living Your Best Life, or even download the Audible for Moms on the Go. Are you in the Phoenix area? Tune into Faith Talk 1360 every Monday at 4 or listen to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Until then, here's to living your best life.